This is the Pro Audio Suite Podcast. Quick Bites. Thanks to Rode Microphones and Harlan Hogan's VoiceOver Essentials, the home of the Porterbooth Pro. Welcome to another show, and we have two special guests this week. We have Carson Beck and we have hey. Bo Stevenson. Hi. How you doing? Thanks for joining us. Now, we're going to find out more about your stuff a bit later on. But first of all, um, the reason we got you in, because um, George wanted to talk to you guys about Apollo. So I want to know, when did you get your first Apollo system and start using it? I got mine the first week that the twin came out. My Mm -hmm. my, uh, uh, Apogee had died. So what was that, six years ago when the twin came out? I'm not sure, but that sounds about right. So I I bought it the week it came out. and uh, What timing? Your apogee died on cue is like such an obvious choice. I started preaching the good word early on because I was like, holy cow, this is amazing because of just everything that the system can do, which we'll get into. So that's me. So you jump straight into UAD2 instead of UAD1 plugins? I didn't get uh, my first one until it's coming up on three years ago. And I skipped right to uh, the eight uh, rack mounted interface because I was coming from uh, a, a smaller two-in, two-out interface, and I was also doing music and working on podcasts, and I knew I would need the extra I.O., so jumped right in with the bigger investment, and uh, since then, I've gone through an X6. Now I'm on the X8P, which is actually uh, shipped out getting modded right now, so it's been about three years. X8P meaning it has eight preamp channels, right? Yes, so so all of the rack-mounted interfaces have eight line channels, um, but for example, the X6, the, the new starter rack mounted interface, um, only has a smaller number of pre's on it. I think four, two, maybe. two or four. Yeah. Two or four, if I remember correctly, and then six total line inputs. So you right. can switch those mics out, but X8P has eight unison preamps on every channel. So yeah. I don't use all of them all the time, but they're good to have in case I have a bunch of people in the studio. So very nice. And I got my rack mount about two and a half almost three years ago, um, upgrading the silver faced twin to the Mark II, And then I ended up getting a 16, uh, and then for a bunch of IO and then a X8P. And then I upgraded my X8P to the X line, uh, what was a year ago. So I'm, yeah, I love Apollo. I like the integration with the plugins and your whole house runs on Apollo, Bo. Your setup is insane. (laughs) I'm very special. Your nanny, your nanny cam is on Apollo. <laughs> it's all DSP based. Kids are. Yeah. And I'll be no, honest, I, I I still have my twin in the box. Don't what use do you, it. Yeah, what's it doing there? It for uh, tech support, and that's about it's it. It's cumbersome. Yeah, I mean that's cumbersome. like because I, I, I in the studio I run my Pro Tools system, and I'm still holding on to like a like an original classic HD system, and I just haven't bitten into like the whole plugin thing because I know if I probably go in there, I'm just going to like get lost in the. It is quite a rabbit hole. I'll say that. Yeah. So I'm just like, I'm, I'm like not jumping in specifically for that reason, but honestly, it's like, to me, one of the things about the Apollo is that it's so big, it's not portable in a way. Like it's not really that portable. It's kind of annoying to have the twin. Yeah. Needs a power supply. Why are we not surprised, Robert, that you have your twin stored in a box? (laughs) Your twin (laughs) is in a box. Yeah. <laughs> well, they came out with the Arrow device, which is bus powered on USB three Thunderbolt three. So that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind uh, of their answer to the portability issue because you know you don't have a power supply and the smaller form factor. I mean, I've taken my Arrow all around the world and it fits in my you yeah. Know, you duffel see, you bag, prefer no to, you prefer to travel with that one than a full up twin. Sure. Yeah. Although Definitely. I do travel with my twin and I I love it. I mean, 
It definitely feels the most, at, the twin, I think, feels most at home on a desktop. But, I mean, the form factor of it has never seemed particularly cumbersome compared to some of the other interfaces that are out there in its class. Uh, it seems totally functional for travel. Uh, my studio partner, Tim Friedlander, takes a twin on the road with him every time his band goes on tour. And he actually has a, he found a backpack that's meant for carrying camera equipment, but it's a regular size backpack that just perfectly fits the twin and all of the uh, peripherals that you would need with it. Um, I so think they should make a headless twin. <laughs> I'm serious. Just like, just a box. And it's all at the pre. Everything's controllable by software, anyways. Yeah, I I think that would be a, a pretty cool way to make it as light and compact as humanly possible. Like to yeah, condense make it down it dense. to the absolute yeah. basics. Yeah, you I know? think for me, I'm in the same boat as Carson. I do a lot of music production, um, a lot of voiceover, and I think what attracted me a lot to the um, Universal Audio platform for Apollo is that you can run these Unison plugins and inserts and print through them like you would like any any of my rack gear here i can i can kind of have a similar workflow and this for anybody who's not familiar with the unison preamp universal audio has come up with this really crafty way of doing it so basically on the front end when you load in the unison pre there's a little change that happens on the physical side the um Oh, Maybe it just the impedance, yeah, the impedance yeah, shifts yeah. to match the what yeah. what preamp you're going to use, and then once you it goes into the box, it prints through the software side, and so what you end up with is a really convincing um, result, which is really useful for any number of applications. And the reason why is because it kind of that that feedback back on the microphone and the way the microphone interacts with the preamp is now more emulated because they're trying to match at least the impedance characteristics and, of it. You know, I've used the plugins before as an insert rather than unison. So using them after the fact, and they sound great, but you definitely get more of the, of a truer response and a little bit more of a beefy sound, especially when you're doing like a Neve unison or, or a manly, something like that. You, you get more of that heft that people really like. And well, from the other know, benefit music, to it working yeah. that way is that, um, because the hardware and software are integrated and all of these settings are handled through the console application, which is tied to the hardware, you end up offloading resources to the device rather than putting that on your CPU. So if you're working in a confined space, um, you have all of those computing tasks of, of processing the emulation being handled by the hardware rather than your computer. So being able to have all that on the way in without burdening your system, if you have a really light rig, makes for a convenient and faster uh, recording. I also like the usability of the Unison for just from a user standpoint, just being able to turn the gain knob on the physical unit, you're adjusting the gain trim or preamp control, whatever on the strip you're, whatever's plugged into that Unison slot, you are actually controlling that gain. And for people that don't understand gain structuring and all that stuff, it certainly makes it a heck of a lot easier to use too. So that's sure. that's nice. The, the, the thing I like too is is especially for voiceover where you just have to plug in and go, and you have a session that you have to just, you know, you're connecting remotely like like we're doing with this podcast. It just needs you need to send that audio. You don't have the luxury of taking your waveform after the fact, then applying the plugins. You know, uh, you have to just be able to do it. And so I really like that I can choose a preamp that I want for Unison loaded in. Get, go on an ISDN session and it's 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 good to go. As they add more products to their platform, one thing that I, I've been really enjoying lately is the L22 microphone, the Sphere, the Townsend Labs Sphere mm -hmm. L22, because I can plug it in 
load in the, the, the preamp and then pick the mic model that I want. And then I go and do my session like I normally would. And it sounds great, you know? So it's, it's really user-friendly that way. And it, and it really mirrors how you're used to working. If you have everything physical out in front of you, all analog, it has a very similar feeling to it. Um, so that's why I like it. Definitely a look. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I set up the first one that I was ever involved with for, um, uh, Howard Kogan, the voice of Jack FM. (laughs) And in December, 2012, it was the original rack mounted unit and he's still using it. He upgraded to Thunderbolt card. He took out the firewire, put in the Thunderbolt card, but that's it. It's still been firing away for eight, almost eight years, reliably running. And, um, we just haven't had a reason to upgrade it yet, you know, for voiceover, maybe newer AD converters and all this stuff, you know, are for good for certain very picky engineering and music tasks. But for the voiceover use, what he's doing, it's still kicking butt. It's yeah, still I mean, if the reliable. need hasn't changed, there's no reason to make the next investment. Um, and as far as the way UA has constructed their hardware, I mean, they're forward thinking with it. For the most part, I know a lot of people have complained that the Shark DSP chips are nothing new and uh, there are more efficient options out there. But across the rest of their line, um, you know, the converters they've used have been good and are still good. Um, You know, it's not like you're missing out on current gen quality in terms of converters, pre's, uh, you know, inputs, outputs, any of the rest of the hardware component. It's all competitive material, and that's, that's what makes it, um, you know, usable for years forward. I wouldn't be surprised if Howard gets another couple years. So much of a converter anyways is just the analog front end of it. You know, getting it into the, the box clean and well with, like, good gain. You look a lot of the older converters, they sound great, and what is it about them? They have, like, a full power supply, and they're kind of for real. You know, it's like... Um, Apogee claims to be there, right? That's that's sort of like their closest competitor in terms of audio interfaces with real converters and real preamps or somewhat or real the baby preamps. face. The RME. baby face, yeah. Yeah, you're right. RMEs yeah, kind or, of uh, prove, yeah. What are the emulations of uh, preamps and uh, stuff like? Are, are they pretty accurate? They're great, yeah. I, uh, I, I've got a bunch of test material here that I've done. Um, the Townsend Labs... Uh, they have a 416 emulation and then UA just came out with an Avalon 737 channel strip. Uh, yeah, I figured unison. we were going to want to talk about that because yeah. Mo and I have tested that together <laughs> extensively. Yeah. And you know what? That's my, that's my physical chest. That's what I'm talking through right now. I Same. love it. It sounds great. It's shockingly good. Um, it not just passable, but like really, really good. You know, it's crazy. You got to keep in mind, like these companies are licensing the likeness of their devices the sound, the licensing of the likeness, the branding, they're licensing all of this to Universal, you know, and it's not like mic models and other things in the past where they just, it's an homage to a mic made in Austria or, you know, like these, these guys are, are full on licensing this stuff. I mean, if it's not convincing, you know, it, I, they couldn't get away with it, I don't think. So yeah. that 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 says a lot to me. Well, that 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 plays into the the upfront investment. You know, obviously work the sales. You know, take advantage of all that, just so you you know don't spend more money than you need to. But I mean, really, that's what you're paying for <clears throat> is all of those licensing fees and development. And kind of going back to what we were talking about, like they've kind of proven that they really do have a long term plan for their platform. And so people that invested in the beginning, like you can still use that hardware and it works fine. So investing in something that is going to last a long time, 
that I can get the most mileage out of. That's really important, you know? Yeah, they're... Their only move there was the UAD1 versus UAD2. But they've only done that once compared to how many times has Avid done that? I know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's it's hard as a company not to do that. You know, it's like there's certain points where like certain things you design, just like there's nothing left to do in that. Like that song is done. <laughs> well, like going from 32 to 64 bit, you know, something you like realize that, that you're uh you know, your philosophy changes and then your product has to change and then your market right. changes and all of that goes tumbling out the window. But UAD1 to UAD2, I mean, the, it's a graphical overhaul and functionally the same. Is I, I believe, but is that their only break in their product line? I mean, it's generational. I wouldn't even consider UAD1 to 2 a break. It's all just been generational upgrades. The, the plugins didn't work and there was like a certain like... I forget I what it the, was. The exactly. plugin architecture changed, but they, I mean, a lot of those legacy plugins are still functional. The SSL 4K, some of the older ones, the interfaces are still like everybody's waiting for them to be updated, but the plugins are still good because they're just been around forever. Was there, so. was there ever a UAD1 plugins? I think every interface was UAD2 from the get go. Yeah, I think it was just a card. It was a or, card. Or a yeah. satellite that you could buy. Um, yeah, and the U81 yep. software looked, uh, the console software just looked so much more complicated Different. than what we have now. I think there was some hard breaks in their product line there, but I think it's the only time they've ever done that that I can think They're of. They're definitely pushing to be more cohesive now, which is nice because yeah. it's sort of like the Apple experience where you feel like you understand what's happening across the entire product line. You know exactly what you're getting. I almost invested all in on Antelope and I got a really bad feeling about it and I'm like, yeah. Let's go with Universal Audio. I already have the twin. I already know it works. It's never let me down. So I kind of went all in with Universal. I even did their the big package to get the plugins that I wanted so I could pay less. And um, and then looking at Antelope, I mean, nothing against the company. They make great converters. I mean, probably the best you can you can get for your money. But they have so many different products that aren't cohesive, that have their own software integration. And it's just all over the place. And there's just problems especially with updates and new operating systems coming in every year from apple that it's it's kind I, of been hard for those people yeah and antelope antelope seems to be playing catch-up in comparison to well, where uad they also is have the issue that their hardware is completely made in i think bulgaria and that's not a bad thing but their supply chain for repairs and stuff's a nightmare and i know this because um there's a shop here in burbank who is the antelope repair shop for the u.s and so anything they That's need to it. fix, they have to get a card from them. So like if something goes wrong, they're going to sit and wait until a card is shipped from Bulgaria. So your stuff <laughs> goes down, it goes down for a week, I mean, weeks to yeah. months long waiting for parts. So there's a bit of an issue there. And they're extremely, they won't give them schematics. I just, I know a tech there. They're also the yeah. Avalon shop, by the way, same place. They do all the Avalon oh, yeah. stuff. Well, and and uh, yeah, and Antelope is going after that mic, which is really more like you know like they're kind of going after Slate in that area, the and and the uh, and the Sphere mic. Yeah, it's pretty and cool. It's like they do a it lot looks, of conceptually. It does look cool well stuff. made. Yeah. yeah, that looks like a solid microphone just on its own. I've never used one. Just yeah, just from what we saw. Remember that day at AES? This is like was yeah, a, I've like been really impressed mic. with what they're doing. Um, but that at the end of the day, for voice actors who are likely only going to have one interface and maybe can only afford that one investment. They're not going to have a second. Well, only need one. one. Yeah, we'll really need yeah. one. You know, they're not going to have the most, most voice actors, their backup to their Apollo is probably going to be a Scarlet 2i2, mm-hmm. you know, if that Apollo goes down. And I, uh, I think, I think for know. a lot of voice actors, I mean, no offense, but just from what I've seen, 
a lot of the times the Apollo is Triggered. over their heads completely oh, God, and causes yes. more uh-huh. problems than it does. Like sometimes what they need is just like literally a road AI one or something straight ahead. They're not able to even like, you know, like, like they just get caught in the weeds and all they need is a gain knob. And that's all their brain can, can handle is like, is it louder or softer? The, the problem, yeah. the problem with that though, is especially since COVID, but it, this has been going on for 10 years. I mean, voice actors who want to work full time, especially commercially, have to have something that meets a certain level. And I think that studios are are, are getting real. You know, clients are really really picky about where they want you recording. So you know, you can pull off auditions. That's fine. I think people have been doing that. You know, just getting the bare bones of what they need for that. But the great thing about the Apollo line is that, grant you know, given that you're working on your acoustic space and you have a decent microphone then the rest of it you can set up. Like you can hire somebody like George to come and help you set up your chain. It's not like you have to reinvent the wheel every time you turn on your twin. You can you can get it set up just like you would if you bought an Avalon. This thing has like what, 15 knobs on it. But once you get them set, yeah, the the, the Avalon the again. Avalon would also right, but the Avalon would also be like, "What?" like crash. <laughs> like there's there's like a whole compressor and EQ section in there that's just like, "What's a threshold?" Um <laughs> Isn't that like under the door? <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting talking about that. I, I had an audition sent to me yesterday for a documentary series, and part of the notes on the notes it said um, you can actually do your audition on your phone. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that okay, sounds weird right, for a so. documentary. For like animation and games, that would be not surprising. I just got done supporting a client with a blue yeti in her closet. Uh, I'm doing what? auditions on this blue mic for three years. And she was speaking into the end of the mic like a radio DJ, <laughs> right? <laughs> Understandable I mean, mistake if you don't years. know. No, I know. It's three years of booking voiceover gigs this way. <laughs> like she was booking. Yeah. <laughs> I think that speaks this, to what this, the standard is This comes is to another point, which is like, you know, like we all know it's like get your room sorted first and then it all goes down from there. But the room is like 75% of it. You start getting down to the UA versus Port Pro and that's like the last 10%. And then even before the room, like like going to a psychiatrist and making sure that your headspace <laughs> is right, you know? <laughs> to be emotionally available for the work. And then even before that, you want to make sure that you're not eating too much gluten. You know, all right. of these yeah, things. Yeah. It's holistic. Do you need to go and see a psychiatrist? If you decide you're going to join this crazy, stupid industry, you need your head read anyway, let's be honest. <laughs> mm-hmm. You don't need for a psychologist. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. I think if you're already in, it's too late. That's right. <laughs> But we talk about this all the time about the um, the difference between you know the, what people accept and what they used to accept. And I think it's just um, you know it's unfortunately it's looks like a race at the bottom, which is really really annoying. Yeah, I think we've been down. Unfortunately, it seems to be changing a bit um, because the demands are changing. And um, I, I was getting started in this business when the race to the bottom was really really accelerating, and now that more companies and pretty much everybody working on anything creative that needs a voice is relying on people to be functional from every corner of the world. And it's going to take a lot of time for 
everybody working that capacity to get fully up to speed. I mean, even, you know, in the first couple months of COVID, I had engineers who I've been working with for years and had to drive to studios to see them. And they're going through the same struggles that voice actors are in terms of getting their routing figured out. Oh, how do I get this interface to work? Because it's one thing to sit down at a DAW at home and mix. It's another thing to connect your producers over Zoom and then connect your talent over Source Connect and mix it all together. Um, So the difficulty is there, but I think as the need goes up, as everybody goes, oh, I need to be able to compete in this space because every audition coming in is saying, hey, what's your home record like? Um, you know, it's putting more, if the pressure isn't there, it's not going to happen. That's why we still had people saying, oh no, I'll just go into the agency and take care of it. And then when I book it, they'll take me to Margarita Mix and it'll be fine. Well, if that's not an option, all of a sudden you need to find a new solution. And if you want to keep working, if you don't, uh, you know, you're pretty much out of the race. Um, but the other thing I was going to mention about these, um, interface developing companies, UA and others like them, is that their market share for the past couple decades has, for the most part, been music. And so all of their marketing efforts, all of their technical explanations, all of their features that they're serving for are intended for a music-creating audience. And inherently, people who are making music know what a threshold is. They know how to turn up their mic and sing into it for their song. The audience is a little different for voiceover. And I think we're just now, I mean, Bo and I have been talking to some UA people over the last couple of years about just pushing a little bit towards that voiceover community and saying, yeah. look, these tools work for you too. These features serve you in this way. Instead of saying, oh, we put out this Avalon plugin for, for hip hop music, you say, okay, well, the Avalon is obviously also a mainstay of voiceover. So right. <laughs> let's direct at that and say, look, buy the Apollo, get the Avalon and have the studio quality commercial voiceover sound you've always wanted. The more that we see that, the more that we're going to see people embrace the technology, I think, because they're going to feel like they're being served. It's interesting yeah. that you say that, though, because um, if you look at the, the industry, basically everything we use has been designed historically for music. Nothing yeah. is designed for voiceover. Yeah, yeah. And now the only products that are designed for the voice Source are for podcasts. Source designed for voiceover. <laughs> so they've actually skipped voiceover. They've gone from music to podcast and they've forgotten all about us, which is kind of weird because I keep talking to Road about this, uh, that they should be uh, you know, offering a product that is specifically designed for voiceover. I mean, they've already got them. They just package them for either music or film. I mean... Even if you're talking about people that just audition full-time and never, ever book a job, I guarantee they will buy a microphone and an interface. There was a Honda commercial in the U.S., literally a Honda national ad campaign, and the whole concept was the guy shows up at your house and he's going to give you a voiceover studio because we're Honda. Oh, I remember we that. we do friendly thing. We do, we do helpful things. It's the helpful That's Honda their, person. The helpful Honda guy shows up to the guy's house with a pile of gear, and I kid you not, there was an Apollo on the pile of gear and he, you know, cut to 10 seconds later, the guy's in his apartment with a corner lined with acoustic foam recording a voiceover. So there's kind of a market out there for this stuff. (laughs) It's interesting. You mentioned that everything we're using is for music because for the most part, that's true, but lots of advancements made to microphones and other recording equipment were made for broadcast needs. The difference is the products were serving a big studio market where they're selling to the studio heads who are getting information from their engineers and and finding out what they need to serve these post-production houses. But the need changes again when those post-production needs are being fulfilled by individuals in their homes. 
And that's when the price starts to drop on gear. People try to find more affordable options because Joe Schmo starting voiceover in Ohio isn't going to be able to buy the same equipment package that, you know, a studio in L.A. that's doing this full time is. Um, So that's another need that's been slightly shifting is that it's not just engineers and big studios buying equipment so they can serve talent coming in every hour of every day. It's somebody who needs one singular option to do their own work, potentially four or five different genres of voiceover, which all come with their different needs, and serving that from a price point that can be approachable for somebody who's just working from home and getting into this. Well, and that's where voiceover equipment tends to be simpler, whereas the music equipment is more complex and has more capabilities. And so they're kind of designing for the broadest market. And voiceover gets swept up in there very easily, obviously. Um, so they, they're they they're trying to keep their, you know, efficiencies by designing for, for of course. the widest, you know. Yeah, I can't blame them for that at all. It's just I mean, you can t- observation. You can tell that they're that they're kind of widening their gaze a little bit, especially with with you know, surround sound capability mixing that they added to the current line, you know, so you know that they're broadening their view a little bit, trying to, to get more people in on the platform. And I don't know. I I don't know if I think it's necessarily a bad thing that the, that the focus has been music. I mean, if you think about it, some of these classic pieces in, in voiceover, you know, with the exception of the 416, you know, so much of the gear that we use is, is uh, from music studios like the Avalon. I think the reason that, that voice actors love it so much is because of how clean it is. You got that finished gloss that it, that it produces so well that, you know, other engineers, they want to plug into a, a box and get a lot of attitude and, and vibe and all that harmonic content. But voice actors, we don't. So this is this beloved box that we all agree is great. And, but in music, it's very divisive if you use one. It's hilarious, actually. Well, to go speak on the, for yourself. I use heavy tube saturation <laughs> on every session. <laughs> Good work. So, you know, it's it's interesting. I mean, I think the things for voiceover are already out there, you know, like a like a Grace preamp. We can all agree that's so clean, and clean. but lovely, you know. John that, Hardy. Be great. Yeah. Or a millennia. Or yeah, like a John Hardy. I think I think the difference is like you can kind of get that. That's what that um, Focusrite liquid channel was about, you know. Just oh, that's right. I used one of those once. Yeah, I mean, in a way, it once. was an earlier take on the whole Unison concept. It was a tailor-made preamp and converter for this, you know, chameleon. And it's interesting. It's like, did those ever really take off that much? I don't know. I, they didn't seem like they. Like, They're expensive, and the one that I had in the client studio died. Within okay. a year or two, <laughs> there you the go. power supply died, and then we had to get another. You know, so they're only as good as their power supplies. And didn't so. did they start sticking like liquid channel and other that technology? And like, I think there was a plug-in for it. There was there's some other places where it showed up, but well, maybe that's why they died because they were sticking liquid in them. You know, they're not supposed <laughs> to do that. <laughs> I mean, come Bum on. Tish. Before we we wrap up this, I wanted to make sure I get a plug-in for the Universal Audio Apollo Facebook group. So if you're not in there and you are dabbling or you own one of these things, you should be because there's a lot of, you know, stuff you're not going to see probably in other groups. And yeah, there's a lot of voiceover people in there. So there's going to be... You got to have a community around you for these projects. I mean, having this hardware and knowing that other people around you are trying to solve the same problems and get to the same workflow. It's good to have um, a community around to bounce questions off. I'm I'm actually the admin in the UA users group too. And... And uh, I try to go in there and be helpful. The, the UA users, there's UA users and UA Apollo users, but UA just covers their whole product line. So anyway, 
there's there's some good groups. We should talk about Luna as well. I mean, oh Luna. Well, do you want to come back and uh, are you guys happy to come back and do another episode with us? That's like a yeah topic in a topic. Yeah. <laughs> I'll talk about like, Luna, guys. Like I will talk about it. I love it. Well, let's do that for the we next get episode. Fab on this podcast, talk about Luna with us. Lovely. All right, we'll wrap this one up. Thanks, guys, and uh, check out next week. This show was mixed by Voodoo Sound, edited by Andrew Peters, using Source Connect Now and Rode microphones, with technical support from George the Tech Whittem. Don't forget to subscribe and like us. You're